Matthew 3, 16 through 17, and then Matthew 4, the first couple of verses in chapter 4, have been a pretty uh, encouraging place in the Bible for me the past year or so. And I feel like I've gotten some insight into uh, the, some of the, the temptation of Jesus that I hadn't seen before and have just been able to see things. And I think the Spirit has kind of opened my eyes to some things in the temptation, uh, specifically the first temptation um, of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, and so just getting some insight uh, about what I think is going on there and seeing really how it, it relates to to me and my life and then just to believers and their walk with the Lord. And, and I think it can bring a lot of vision and clarity to especially seasons of trials, seasons of uh, wilderness seasons, and, and kind of give some insight into what God is doing in those situations and, and also what Satan is doing, what he's after. And, uh, and so I want to look at uh, specifically the first temptation, but uh, I'll start, start in Matthew 3 to kind of set up what's going on. So Matthew 3, 16 through 17, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven. So this is God's voice coming from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So here God's voice is coming and he's openly, he's openly acknowledging to Jesus and to everybody who hears that Jesus is his beloved Son. And, and this, is, this part here is really uh, important later on when, when Jesus' first temptation comes. So he calls Jesus his son, and he says that he is uh, well-pleased with him. He's well-pleased with Jesus. And then ag again, it says that the Spirit of God came to rest on Jesus. And so this really, I, I think, is... is uh, God's way of, of giving Jesus uh, sort of his, he's giving Jesus his word. He's communi communicating to Jesus uh, what his thoughts are, what his, his heart is. He's really, I think, giving Jesus a promise. He's saying, this is my word to you. You are my son. I am pleased with you. I'm openly acknowledging uh, before everybody that I'm, I'm, uh, I receive who you are. You are my son, and, and my spirit is resting on you, confirming that, uh, that you are sent from me, and, and you are doing my will. So now immediately after Jesus gets this uh, powerful moment, he has this powerful moment with God, confirming to him, speaking so clearly to him, and, and uh, you could say that his presence was so near. Uh, Jesus was right there. He, was, he could feel God and his emotions. He, could, he was experiencing him, and he was hearing his voice clearly uh, just confirming who he was and, and confirming his love for him and his acceptance of him. But now what happens is that I think Jesus finds himself basically in a situation that is in direct opposition and uh, directly contradicts basically what God had just said. And so in, in verse 1 of Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus uh, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's interesting that it says he was led by the Spirit to be tempted. 
Um, and, and Jesus specifically says when the disciples ask him to uh, teach them how to pray, uh, if you remember, he says to pray that God uh, would, would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So um, there's something going on there, I think, with the fact that the Spirit now is right after this moment of confirmation uh, and this promise given to Jesus, this clear word given to Jesus. Now what the Spirit is allowing and leading is, is uh, he's allowing the devil to come and to tempt Jesus and to test him. I think uh, really specifically over this promise and this clear word that God had just given. And I think that relates a lot to, to what happens to us in our lives. So um, I'll talk about that in a minute, but let's finish reading this. So Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, he was hungry. So Jesus was hungry. Um, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Um, okay, so what we see here is that Satan is immediately coming to Jesus. And the first thing he does is, if you remember back in Matthew 3, that God's word to Jesus was, You are my son, right? He said, You're my son, and I'm well pleased with you. And now what Satan is doing is he's... Uh, He's coming, and, and what he's asking Jesus, the temptation, is the if question. He's saying, if you are really the Son of God. So he's producing doubt. Immediately, he's trying to produce doubt in Jesus' heart over what God had just spoken to him, that clear word that God had just given him, that promise that God had given him. And now Satan comes, and he's trying to produce doubt in Jesus' heart that he's, he's trying to get Jesus to think, man, am I... Am I really a son? God called me a son, and I heard that promise, but now look at my situation. I, I, I'm, I'm hungry. I don't even have bread, and I'm out in this wilderness, and, and, uh, and it's dry, and it's barren, and I can't feel God. I don't know where God's at, and he feels silent, and, and uh, I, I'm not feeling, I'm not experiencing what I was experiencing before with God. And, and so what Satan does in those situations with us and what he's doing here with Jesus is he's producing doubt. So he says, if you are the son of God, uh, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So what's, what's going on here? What is Satan really after? What's he trying to do? And I think what he's trying to do is similar to uh, what he did in the first temptation in Genesis. So jumping over to Genesis 3.1, if you remember in Genesis 3, uh, Satan came to Eve and, and it says, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So this is the same thing that was going on, that is going on in Matthew 4, I believe, where Satan is just coming and he's trying to produce doubt over God's word. God has spoken, he said something, he's communicated something, and, and he's told and commanded us, and, and, and Jesus is, uh, uh, what he should be doing is trusting in that word, trusting in God, but Satan's coming and he's, he's trying to produce doubt, just like he did here in the garden to Eve, and, and uh, he says he's he was cr more crafty than any beast of the field. So um, this temptation is really deceptive and subtle. 
And, uh, and, but the purpose of it for Satan here in the garden was to get Eve and Adam and Eve disconnected from trust in God. And that's exactly what he's trying to do with Jesus. So again, there's the if, the if you are really the son of God. So he's calling into question what God has just clearly communicated so that there's unbelief rather than faith. And what he tries to get, and what he tries to get Jesus to move into um, through that doubt, through that unbelief, is to disconnect from God, um, to disconnect from trust and reliance on God and his provision, and then to go out and, and rely on himself to, to, uh, to bring about and to produce what he needs, which is, in this situation, is bread. So Jesus needs bread. He's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he's, he's been without uh, what he needs, and, and he's in a wilderness. And so, um, so Satan is coming and saying, look, sons of God have bread. Sons of God uh, are provided for. Sons of God have what they need. Uh, if God was really a good father, then he would be giving you what you need. And, and so there's something off here is what Satan's argument is. Something's wrong here. Um, if you're really a son, you'd be eating bread right now. You wouldn't be hungry and thirsty. And so what he tries to do is get Jesus move into, to move into uh, self-reliance again into producing for himself the bread, the provision that God has promised to provide. And so right now, Jesus... The, the will of God is that in the wilderness, there would be trust and reliance and confidence in God's word, even when the, uh, the, situation, the, the situation is the exact opposite of what God said, even though it's a, a, uh, even though it's a wilderness that, that Jesus finds himself in, which is uh, the exact opposite of what God just communicated to him about him being a son and God being pleased with him. Um, sons shouldn't be in wildernesses. That's, that's human thinking. That's what human wisdom would say. But what God says is that even if you find yourself in a wilderness, in a dry season, in a season where God is distant and you can't find him and you seem to be going uh, hungry and thirsty without what you need, don't, don't listen to the enemy who says, look, that must mean you're really not a son, so you better go out and start trying to do things yourself. Just uh, move out of a place of trust and uh, reliance and confidence on God, which again is what God would want us to do, to remain in, in faith in the word that God has spoken. And Satan's temptation is to say, move away from that trust and that reliance and move into a self-reliance. Uh, let the fear of, of the lack of provision that you're seeing move you into a place of trying to rely on yourself and trying to provide for yourself uh, the, the bread that you need. And so what Satan was attempting to do is to get Jesus out of the spirit and into the flesh. So uh, remember in Romans 8, Paul says to set your minds on the spirit and, and not on the flesh. So what it would look like in this situation to set the mind on the spirit is to set the mind on, on the promises of God the word that he's spoken, the thing that he has communicated. To set the mind on the spirit means to, to not look at, at the wilderness, to not look at the lack, to not look at what is 
what seems to contradict God's word, but to set the mind and trust and rely on what God has spoken and say, even though this situation contradicts, seemingly contradicts what God has just said to me, I'm going to rely on him and I'm not going to move into the flesh and, and try to produce bread for myself, to try to find, uh, to find satisfaction and joy or, or, to get, or to get what needs to be done, done. Um, I'm not gonna try to, uh, you know, really I think at, at the core of this is, uh, this really I think touches on legalism and, and uh, works-based works uh, salvation. And so um, what happens when we fear, you know, spiritually fear w- what our condition is before God, spiritually fear, you know, the sin that we see, the weakness that we see in ourselves, the struggles and the failure, the struggle, what comes in that, that, that becomes a temptation by Satan where he says, uh, look, you're, you're lacking you know, righteousness. You're lacking the the bread, if you will, of righteousness. And again, sons of God, sons of God are righteous. Sons of God are holy. Sons of God uh, don't don't live in wildernesses where where they seemingly don't see a lot of fruitfulness and a lot of life in themselves and a lot of uh, ministry or whatever, a lot of victory, uh, seeming victory and, and power. Um, and, and so as saints, as children of God, when we experience these things, when we experience a lack of fruit and dryness and, and a struggle with, with sin, uh, the, the, that, that wears on us and it, 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 it's troubling to us and it, um, aggravates our souls and, and causes, uh, uh, depression and anxiety and fear for those who really have a fear of the Lord. And so again, in that situation, what Satan does is he comes and says, look, sons do not have this experience. Sons of God should not experience this. Sons of God should be perfect. Sons of God should have victory over sin. And then he gets you to look at other people who seeming, who, who in your eyes, even though they know better, in your eyes, it seems like they're just, they have it all together. They're getting uh, Christianity done and they're just, you know, they're struggle free, they're problem free. And so Satan gets us to look at them and say, look, they're, they're really sons and they're getting it done. But look at you, you're, you're failing, you're struggling with this and that. You must not really be a son. Again, that's a temptation. That's a temptation to doubt what God has said, what God has communicated in his word to us about who we are. And again, that's a temptation of Satan to get us into the flesh and and to get our minds to to be set on the things of the flesh uh, rather than being set on the things of the spirit, which is God's word. And so uh, Jesus's reply here is is very insightful into what our reply needs to be to Satan in these situations. So he says, man shall not live. So life and, and victory and joy and peace and fruitfulness and whatever else that we find ourselves at certain seasons, in certain seasons of life lacking, he says that life to live, uh, that comes not by bread, alone, but by, you can probably hear my kids in the background right now. So if you do, sorry for that. Um, but he says, man shall not live by, uh, bread alone, but by every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So basically what he's saying here, Jesus does not give in to this temptation. He has complete victory and where Adam and Eve fell and gave in to the temptation of Satan in Genesis, uh, they, they gave in to that, that doubt that Satan tried to produce. Did God really say, uh, Satan tried to get them to doubt God's spoken, clear communication to them. And that's what he's doing to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't give in. And he, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is basically summarized in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where um, Paul says, we live by faith and not by uh, sight. So I'll give the flesh color here. Not by sight, not by what we see with our natural senses. We don't live by that. We don't, we don't uh, base the way we, we respond to things based on our own uh, fleshly understanding, our own human understanding and human wisdom, but we, we respond based on faith. We, we look at our situations, even the wilderness situations, even wilderness seasons, even seasons of lack, even seasons where what God has spoken to us and communicated to us seems to be completely lost and seems to be completely uh, uh, impossible now. And, and what we're experiencing now is actually seems to be directly in opposition to what God has said. Even in those situations, what Jesus says is man doesn't live by bread. He doesn't live by the natural uh, consuming, the natural things that he consumes or sees, his natural senses, but man lives by faith. Man lives by uh, every word that God speaks. So man relies not on human understanding, but man relies on the understanding and the wisdom of God. And that's Isaiah 55 where uh, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And, and as the heaven, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours and my ways higher than yours. And so I think another scripture that basically is, uh, synonymous with these, these, uh, other verses again, man uh, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we walk by faith. We walk by faith in God's word, not by, uh, not by sight, not by the physical bread that we have or do not have. Um, and then again, Proverbs 3, the verse that so many of us know, um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Uh, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own perceptions. Don't lean on, on what human wisdom says about the situation you're in, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And, and rather than leaning on your understanding of your situation and what it seems to be telling you about God and his goodness and his faithfulness and, and your standing before him or, or whatever it may be, um, live by God's word, lean on God's understanding rather than leaning on your own understanding. And another scripture that really is just synonymous with these other verses is Psalm 23.1 where uh, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, um, I shall not want. So this is a faith statement. And later on, you'll remember in Psalm 23, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Um, so again, what David, David is teaching the same principle here. He's teaching the same, uh, spiritual concept that we see Jesus walking out where he's saying, even in the valley of the shadow of death by faith, 
I will say that I shall not want. By faith, I will say that what God has spoken when he says to me, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you. You are my son. I am well pleased with you. He says that not just to Jesus, but for those in Christ, uh, by grace, God says that to all of us. He says that as much to us now as he says to Jesus. God is just as equally pleased with us uh, as he is with Jesus, not because of us, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ and because we are in him. And so like David, uh, we can say, um, we shall not want. We have a good father. We have a father who is providing for our needs. And so we will not be in need. And even in, uh, even if we find ourselves in a wilderness like Jesus, and even if we find ourselves in a wilderness like Jesus, um, and that temptation comes, we can, we can still say, um, even in that valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with me. And Jesus was basing that, that God was with him on the word that God had just spoken to him, the voice that came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And again, for us, that is true for us. And so we can grab hold of all of God's promises that are in his word, um, things that he's spoken to us, spoken to our hearts, uh, promises that we find in the scripture and, and in every situation, and, and especially uh, this word concerns situations where, where it's a wilderness and we're lacking, seemingly lacking what, uh, what we feel like we should be having from God. Even in those seasons, um, we can say, we're not gonna live by bread alone, uh, we're going to live by God's word. We're going to rely on what he said and trust him and patiently endure. And uh, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because God is with us.